I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. (laughs) Kia ora everybody. I'm Jordan, host of the Kiwi Birth Tales podcast. It's my hope that you find support and comfort in these stories and I'm really looking forward to bringing you today's episode. Just a reminder before we get started that these are personal experiences and you should always seek medical advice before making any important decisions. I'm not an advocate for any particular model of birth or birth care, and this is simply a platform to share these empowering Kiwi birth tales with you all. In this week's episode of Kiwi Birth Tales, I speak with Becca, and Becca takes us through her first pregnancy and birth. In Becca's story, she discusses polycystic ovarian syndrome um, and how she thought that might impact her on her journey to pregnancy and then actually falling pregnant quite quickly after coming off contraception. At the end of 35 weeks, Becca noticed a decrease in her baby's movement, so she talked with her midwife and had quite a few scans booked in from there. They did a Doppler check um, a few days later and it showed a decrease in blood supply from the placenta so they were induced the next day. As part of this we were also in level 4 lockdown in New Zealand because of COVID-19 so Becca takes us through what that experience was like. Obviously quite different to the birth that she had envisaged initially and no one could have expected that that's where we would have been. It was quite early on in the lockdown. So Becca talks through her lockdown birth experience and what that was like for them afterwards and how that sort of impacted introducing the baby to family and how they could stay at the hospital and the birth centre and all those types of things. So I think it's a really relevant story given that a lot of places um, around the world at the moment are still in a version of lockdown and I do hope that if you are a mum or a dad listening to this story and you're expecting a baby really soon and you are concerned or anxious around lockdown that this story will help you because you're able to hear someone else's experience and hear them come out the other side. So I'm really looking forward to bringing you this story. Um, I will let Becca talk you through the details and let's jump into it. Hey Becca, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. No worries. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about you and who's in your family? Yes, of course. Um, So I have uh, myself, Becca, my husband, Joel, and our 11-month-old son, Oscar. Awesome. Very cool. And what part of New Zealand are you from? Uh, We're in South Auckland in Pukekohe. Awesome. Very cool. And what was the journey like to pregnancy for you guys? Um, it was pretty good. We, um, I got diagnosed when I was 14 with polycystic ovaries. Um, so I actually spent probably a lot of my kind of teenage years, um, you know, coming to terms with what that meant and what that meant for my lifestyle. And, um, probably a lot of that time also thinking that it mightn't be the easiest for me to get pregnant. Mm. Um, so when my husband and I kind of decided that we would like to start trying, um, we kind of did the whole, oh, well, maybe we should um, come off the pill because I'd been on that for about 
12 years because of my PCOS. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know kind of, I didn't know what my normal cycle was or anything like that. Um, so we thought we'll come off everything and it could take, who knows, it could take a year. We may not be able to do it naturally. Um, so we thought we'll just see what happens. Um, and Murphy's Law, it happened on the second month. <laughs> so we were very, very fortunate. Um, and I think back to all of those years of having that, that worry in the back of my head. Mm. Um, but, but yeah, we were lucky enough that, that it was a, an easier ride this time round than we yeah. kind of had expected. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. And how did you find out that you were pregnant? Did you have any early symptoms or miss a period or what was that like? Yeah. So, um, because I'd kind of just come off the pill and everything like that, I yeah. had no idea what my normal cycle was like or anything like that. Um, my first period off the pill. So the first month it was very, very short. Um, and it was quite quite like like spotting. Um, and then the second month, I didn't get it on the Monday as I thought I would, and I got really really excited. And all my family kind of said to me, "Just relax, like, <laughs> it's very unlikely." Um, and I managed to hold off on that Monday. And then on the Tuesday, um, I couldn't couldn't hold off any longer, and I got a test, and I just did it at home and had a quick look at it. And there was only one line, so I was like, oh, okay, you know, I didn't think much of it. Popped, um, chucked it in the rubbish bin. Um, and then later that night I was cleaning out the rubbish and there were two lines. Mm. <laughs> um, so I hadn't waited long enough to have yeah. it because I really didn't think, um, that it would have been the case. Yeah. So it took a long time to actually convince myself that, that, <laughs> um, that I was pregnant. And even when I went to the doctors and kind of did the blood tests and stuff, I just, it was, it took quite a bit to, um, to believe really. But <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of how we found out and, I, I didn't feel too bad um, at all, really. I think I've been quite lucky. I, I probably throughout that first trimester um, had just a lot of the kind of morning sickness of feeling like I was hungover or just mm. a little bit car sick just yeah. all the time. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I'm a high school teacher, so that was a bit hard at times. But luckily enough, I never um, never was really sick enough to vomit yeah. or anything like that. So I was really fortunate. Yeah, awesome. I can um, definitely relate on that hungover car sickness feeling. I just, yeah, I, I it, oh, it makes me cringe just talking about it. It's so unfair. It was like oh. the hangover without the joys of drinking. I was like, oh. Yeah, yeah. cool. And did you choose to go um, with a midwife for your pregnancy or what was your plan there? Yeah, I did. Um, to be honest, I didn't really think too much between a midwife and an obstetrician. I know my sister had had shared care. Um, and I jumped on the midwife register and already at that point, and I was only probably about six weeks pregnant when I started looking, um, a lot of the midwives in my area were, um, already booked. Mm. So I kind of did a bit of a panic and had a look and I was trying to find someone that would go up to the hospital if I needed to. Yeah. Because at that point I was undecided if I wanted a hospital birth or a um, at one of the birthing centres. Yeah. So I wanted somebody who wouldn't, um, who, so I wouldn't be handed over who would come with me. So that was a big contributing factor to my decision. Um, but yeah, managed to find um, a lovely midwife, and um, so that's kind of how we went down that that track. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. And what was the rest of your pregnancy experience like? Did you do sort of all the standard testing that's offered in New Zealand, and did you find out the sex of your baby? Yeah, so we did all the normal testing, um, and I think my midwife, because of the polycystic ovaries, she got me to do the two-hour glucose test straight away, Yeah. so instead of doing the one hour and then going back, um, so we did all of that, 
and that all came back fine, which um, polycystic ovaries, your chance of having um, gestational diabetes is a little bit higher. Okay. Um, so that was a nice kind of in the clear there. Um, and then, yeah, at our 20-week scan, we um, got the sonographer to write down on a piece of paper, um, but we're pretty sure we heard a bit of a slip of the tongue. Um, <laughs> so we weren't overly surprised, um, but we did a cake with the rest of our family. And um, that was a nice way to find out with everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Very cool. And did you do any antenatal classes or birth classes or any sort of, um, I guess, educational stuff before your labour? Yeah. So we, I saw um, my husband and I went to, I think it was over about six weeks um, at night from about seven till nine, I think. Um, just at one of our local um, kindergartens running through the parent centre. Yeah. Um, we went to a group there um, and that was, I know people have some really differing experiences um, and I think I'm so pleased that we did go. I'm um, being a high school teacher, if I want to find something out, um, I'm a big into research and I wanted to know everything that I could and I listened to your podcast because I felt that knowledge was powering all of that whereas my husband wasn't so um <laughs> so much and I think that's just probably from a different um a different point of view yeah he obviously yeah he didn't think like that yeah so the antenatal classes were amazing for him not necessarily at the time because I still think he probably I had to drag him along a wee bit but um it meant that when things popped up later on he had a little bit of knowledge so it wasn't quite so out of the blue yeah. Um, and it also was quite good. It got us talking about certain things. Um, like we'd always go home and have discussions about what we wanted or what our views were um, that we probably maybe wouldn't have thought about until later, yeah. in, later in the pregnancy. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Nice. And did you have much of a birth plan or sort of thoughts on how you wanted your birth to go um, as a result of that or as a result of, I guess, conversations between you and your husband? Yeah, um, we didn't have too much of a plan um, and knowing that things never tend to go the way you want. <laughs> um, I always thought before I was pregnant, I'm a big sook, um, not, <laughs> not, not very good with pain. Um, so I was always very much on the um, side of get me to hospital as soon as possible and give me all the drugs as soon as possible. Yeah. Um, but then kind of um, as we progressed through the pregnancy, um, I started to kind of think about what what my other options were um, and I'd kind of come to the discussions with my midwife about um, laboring at the birthing unit which was about 30, you know oh gosh it was two minutes from our house it was so close um, and then going up to hospital if necessary yeah. um, she kind of had the she told me that you know things really go wrong all of a sudden um, mm. and that if things weren't looking great that she would um you know make that decision nice and early and get us get us up to hospital um I think my bigger panic was feeling if I got to a point where I wanted an epidural and feeling like I couldn't have one yes um, yeah. feeling panicked by that and that was probably my biggest fear um so I kind of tried to I started looking into hypnobirthing and your course wasn't out yet um and I did it very um, probably not as in depth as I would like to next time. Yeah. Um, but I found that was quite helpful in at least getting me to consider um, trying to labour. Yeah. Um, you know, at the birthing unit first. Yeah. Um, but yeah. 
Yeah. Awesome. Nice. And I guess your baby is 11 months old now. So if I think back to where um, the country was um, (laughs) 11 months ago, that means that you had a level four lockdown birth. I did. I had a level four baby. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So do you want to talk us through, I guess, those final few weeks of your pregnancy and how I guess maybe your care changed going from um, a COVID sort of free New Zealand to all of a sudden into a level four lockdown. What was that like um, in those end stages of your pregnancy? Yeah, um, it was it was quite terrifying. Yeah. Um, but I think at that point too, that it was so um, new for the yeah. whole world. Nobody really knew what we were in for, um, and I think. Yeah, I, now I look back and I kind of think I don't know how we coped quite mm. as well as we did. Um, but so the first thing was that um, the last two sessions of our um, uh, antenatal course was done online because yeah. um, that's when things started to um, started to you know hit the fan. Um, but at around thirty five weeks, so this was a couple of weeks before lockdown. Um, his movements started to change. Um, so I'm a PE teacher and I'm on my feet a lot during the day. So I often didn't feel him. Um, but in the evenings, I'd feel him quite a lot. And mm-hmm. one night, um, the, yeah, his movements, they didn't stop. They just decreased a bit. Um, and that's the one thing that your midwives tell you until they're blue in the face. Like, if anything <laughs> changes, please, like, don't hesitate to call us. We'd rather you come in and mm. we have a look and it'd be nothing um, than, you know, anything else. So I kind of had my midwife's voice ringing in through my head. And I was like, oh, I'll just flick her a message. And because we were so close to the maternity unit, she got us to pop down and she monitored us. Um, and we, he had something that was a sleepy trace for about 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he started to kind of come right. But that initiated her wanting to send us for another scan. Um, so I think about a week later after that, we had another scan and his abdomen hadn't grown very much from the previous, um, which initiated another scan, which was, (laughs) um, about a week and a half later and his abdomen hadn't grown at all, um, in that time. So, um, that's when things started to, you know, they just started to think about what could be the causes. Um, and we had a Doppler scan, um, on the 26th so the i think uh we went into lockdown on the wednesday the 25th um yeah we had a scan on the 26th and then the following week on the monday we had the doppler scan where they looked at the blood flow and um it was starting to decrease he wasn't getting as much as he should have so our midwife phoned us up and said you're going to be induced tomorrow um so that was yeah about four days five days into lockdown um and that was was one of those things when we're at the antenatal um classes one of the women um she was being induced because she had gestational diabetes and for some reason in my mind I'm kind of going oh well I don't have gestational diabetes I'm not going to be induced so I don't really I kind of zoned out from the Mm. induction chat (laughs) and now I'm kind of going oh crap like um so I had to kind of look into a lot of it um but yeah so because of that we had to be induced on the Tuesday um so my uh my husband couldn't come with me to the scan Mm -hmm. um it was all on my own um which started to get a little bit 
it was starting to get really quite creepy because mm-hmm. it was like this big elephant in the room that was COVID and nobody really knew how to deal with it or yeah. um so so yeah so wasn't able to come to my scan um and then it was really unsure of knowing what we were going to be allowed or who was going to be allowed there on, mm. on the induction um, and we ended up getting told that um, it would just be my husband and myself so my mum and my sister who had hoped to be there couldn't yeah um, so it was just my husband and I and once we got into the ward um, we couldn't leave the room so normally when you're induced you can kind of get up and move around and sometimes yeah. even leave hospital um, unfortunately we were confined to our mm. room um, so yeah, that was the beginning of, of kind of where COVID started to really hit us, um, at that point. Yeah. Right. And do you want to take us through, um, I guess the rest of your sort of induction story and into your labor, if it ended up starting and how you progressed from there? Yeah. So, um, we were induced on Tuesday the 31st um so they about 12 o'clock we got there they um did the balloon method Mm -hmm. at about 4 p.m and the uh doctor as she was doing it um said that if she was a bedding woman that she would expect it needed to be a good 24 hours to have it in um there was no my cervix was not at all ready (laughs) um and that's um yeah, so that was I. I didn't feel that my body was ready for labouring yeah, or anything. Not over, like not overly encouraging, is it? No, and I was like, yeah. oh, that's um, that's interesting. And then, mm. and then it was it was um, not the most comfortable experience. Mm. And um, like I said, I'm not great with pain, so I was sucking really hard on that gas already. And I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm not even labouring. I'm on the gas, <laughs> like so hard. <laughs> so at that point, I was quite pleased that I was in hospital. Um, so, so yeah, we had the balloon inserted um, and that's where they fill it up to try and gently open your cervix um, because we were looking to be about four, 13, 14 days early um, and Oscar was measuring quite small. They say it's a slightly softer method um, mm-hmm. of inducing rather than the drip. Um, so that's why they went with that one. So we kind of had that in overnight and it's it's um, started kind of contracting. Uh, it still felt really false um, and it pushed on my bowel and my bladder and it was quite uncomfortable for most of the night. Um, so we did that and then, yeah, and then our, my waters were broken at about 1pm on the Wednesday and we laboured um, pretty much throughout the Wednesday night Um at about, sorry, at about four o'clock on the Wednesday, we had um, one of the doctors doing their rounds come in and uh, ask me if I was considering getting an epidural. And at that point, the contractions were just starting to ramp up, but they um, still weren't that bad. And I, um, I was like, oh yeah, I'm so, I'm super open to an epidural. And they kind of suggested that if I was open to it that it mightn't be the worst idea just in case they did have to do an emergency c-section um that the line was already in so um that was pretty much all I needed to convince me (laughs) I was like yep sure um and so they popped that in um I don't uh local very well um so local anesthetic doesn't work beautifully on me so um that also wasn't um super comfortable Mm. uh but like the, uh, an ethetist said it was a lot more comfortable than late full-on labor would have been so um 
so yeah, we got that done and I hadn't realized how uncomfortable I had been at the later stages of my pregnancy until I couldn't feel my body. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is what it feels like not to be pregnant. Yeah. It was um, a huge relief. I've got some bit back issues, though. I hadn't realized the toll that it had taken on me um, mm. until I couldn't feel anything. So that was quite, um, quite an interesting feeling. Um, so yeah, we laboured out throughout Wednesday night, um, and it was really interesting. We had a chat going with my mum and sister because that was the best way to keep them involved. Um, and I'm really close with them, so it was really hard not having them yeah. around. Um, and you know, they kept kind of messaging us, um, asking us for updates. And now, when I talked to them, they said, you know, that they were starting to get really concerned by that point on Wednesday night um, that kind of hadn't progressed and that baby's heart rate mm. was still quite erratic um so so yeah we kind of um we slept on and off um and then on Thursday morning at about I think it was about 9 30 I was about nine and a half centimeters dilated um but I did have a slight um lip and I um tried pushing about three times and in that time um baby's heart rate just started to tank um, so they said pretty quickly that they were going to take me through to theatre and look at either doing an instrumental delivery or a C-section. Yeah. Um, and at that point, I was so tired. I I honestly probably could have slept through it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I was so knackered by that point. Um, it was the strangest feeling, like being told that you're really close to meeting your baby, and I just I could barely keep my eyes open. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they were taking us through to theatre, and as much as it was a emergency, um, they were amazing at keeping keeping me calm um, and my husband. And um, you know, had said that if it had been a true emergency of getting him out really, really quickly, he would have been out by now. Mm. Um, but the entire team um, in, in the theatre were just incredible, um, which made life so much easier. Um, so, yeah, and I don't know if you've ever heard people say that having a, well, you've had a C-section as well, haven't you? I have, yeah. Yeah, um, it's like people doing the, the dishes in your tummy. <laughs> yeah, and that's a good way to explain it. It was so much like that like you can definitely feel it it's not painful at all but it's not um it's not gentle (laughs) Mm. um so it was the most strangest feeling um and yeah so my husband was able to be um in the theater with us which was um at that point we didn't know kind of what was going to be allowed or not so we were really lucky yeah um and different DHBs had different um, kind of regulations at that right. point, only a weekend. So the other thing we were quite lucky was um, that he was able to be there while I um, was induced because yep. a lot of DHBs um, wouldn't let the significant other come in until you were in established labour. Mm-hmm. So um, we were quite fortunate that that wasn't the case with us. Um, so that was one really big positive thing. Um, so then, yeah, um, and then our little our little Oscar was born um, five pounds 13. Um, and, yeah, he, he was perfect, cried straight away. Um, and it was, yeah, an incredible experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, amazing. And so there were no real issues with his abdomen once he was born? 
No, no, nothing, um, yeah. nothing wrong. Just that he was little. He had stopped yeah. growing and getting the nutrients that he'd needed. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that was the deciding factor to get him out that he no longer was getting yeah. what he needed from me. And that, in fact, um, yeah, that the placenta wasn't doing its job properly. Yeah. Um, so he was he was little. Um, he was 11 days early. And, um, but yeah, he passed all of his tests and, and things yeah. like that. He did um, the the heel prep to check his, I think it's his blood sugars. Yes, yep. Um, he was very close to being put into the NICU because of how um, borderline he was. Mm-hmm. Um, I was lucky I was able to express quite a bit of colostrum. Oh, awesome. Which I think kept him out. Yeah. Um, but that was quite a tough experience, um, kind of having your child prepped many times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I can relate because Jai was the opposite end. He was big, so they were pricking him. And I wished so badly that I had antenatal colostrum yeah. there because I think we would have avoided the NICU as well. Yeah, and it was. It was still pretty grueling. You had nurses kind of coming up yeah. and milking you with a syringe, and it, there was nothing yeah. gentle about it. Or, And, I mean, at the end of the day, we wanted to get the colostrum for bubs, so it, yeah. Wasn't, yeah. it was what it needed to be. Um, but so, so that was kind of the only implication, really, of yep. his size. Um, so once we got out of theatre, we went down to recovery. I was there for, I think, about 20 minutes, um, and then we got taken up to our ward, and that's when my husband was told that he only had 15 minutes and then mm. he had to get out. And that yeah. was probably the hardest mm. aspect of the entire birth um, was basically my husband being give, given the most amazing gift in the world yeah. and told he had a time limit of 15 minutes and then he had yeah. to go. And they were really strict with that. Um and I, yeah, it was hard to hard to come to terms with because you're like, well, he's been here. Mm. <laughs> he's been here for, all for the whole time. time. Yeah. Um, and they kind of talked about it being about changing of shifts and things like that. Um, and, and new work is coming on and new staff. Um, but it was kind of that idea of, well, whatever I've got, he's got kind mm. of thing. So it was, it was quite, it was a hard pill to swallow. Yeah. Um, I've never seen him look so heartbroken. Mm. So that was, that was really horrible. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, and then of course, having had a C-section, um, there was no one there to support me. Mm. So when baby cried, I, you know, I'd call for the for the nurses and things and the midwives, but they were very short staffed. Um, so it was very very lonely um, yeah. first night. Um, yeah, and of course you had people coming in and checking all your vitals and things like that, but they never seemed to be there when the baby was crying and you were mm. picking, picking yeah. it up. Yeah. Um, so so that was that was really hard, but. I mean, because he was our firstborn, we didn't really have anything to compare it to. Yeah. Um, so some ways, sometimes I think that that's quite a positive thing. I didn't know what it was like to have mm. support there. Um, I sometimes think it might have been harder if you had had a baby before yeah. um, and knowing what it was like to have people with you that whole time. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and how did you, how long did you end up having to spend in the hospital? So I got out of there as soon as I could. Um, <laughs> I was like, to my wife, what do I need to do to get out? Um, and she talked about, you know, passing the wind. And I think it was about 500 mils of 
urine that I yeah. had to pass and over a certain time. Um, so I was drinking so much water. Yeah. I was <laughs> everything I could to get out of there. Yeah. Um, my entire modesty was out the window with kind of, um, yeah, everything about that. Um, so I ended up staying one night. So he was born at 10.47 on the 2nd and I managed to leave kind of the afternoon of the 3rd. Yeah. Um, and my husband was able to pick me up and transfer me to the maternity unit. So that was the only way I was allowed out of hospital after one night was by right. going to the unit. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't have not wanted to have done that either, being my first baby. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had no idea what I was doing. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, so my husband got to kind of see Bub um, between uh, Middlemore and the maternity unit, um, and then, unfortunately, he wasn't allowed in there at all either. Mm. Um, so I had to pass us over again at the door, um, which was, yeah, it's just, it seems insane, really. Yeah. Um, and I know that that was a huge contributing factor for me leaving the unit earlier as well. Yeah. Was um, to try and get home to him. My milk hadn't completely come in. Um, and I remember when I was looking at everything I needed for baby, I was quite lucky that I was very um, obsessive, maybe it was the right word, and <laughs> had mostly everything I needed. Yeah. Um, because everything was closed. The only thing I didn't want to buy was a breast pump because I didn't know whether I'd be able to breastfeed. Sure. I didn't want to outlay that money. Um, and then at the unit, kind of wanting to go home and my milk not fully in, um, I was needing to pump a lot. So, yep. And we couldn't just go to the store and buy one. So we were very fortunate that we had an incredible neighbour who um, who lent us her pump. Um, and that, that meant that I could go home. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah awesome. And how did you find going home um obviously you're taking your new newborn baby home and your husband's been probably desperately waiting for you guys to arrive and um obviously with your milk coming in lots of hormone changes so how did you find those first um few days and weeks yeah it was really strange um and that was the silver lining to uh COVID for us as well was my husband had originally decided to take a week off yeah um, but because of COVID, he couldn't work. So we had pretty much three and a half weeks with him. No, yeah. longer, I think. So we were incredibly lucky to have that. I can't yeah. imagine many people would have that, um, have that opportunity. So that was a huge silver lining for us. Um, but it was, it was really strange. And of course, not having my family there. Um, and mum was doing our food shopping for us. So she, would drop it off on on the deck and look through the ranch slider and that mm. was just um not the way I'd ever expected to yeah. um introduce my son to his grandma or his nana um so so that was really tough mm. but again we we knew nothing else um, yeah. and it did mean that we had to solely rely on one another mm. and um yeah uh I think I was fairly lucky with the baby blues um Definitely, I think it was about night three for me. Um, everything kind of hit home. Um, yeah. And, yeah, but I was fortunate enough that I had um, quite a good milk supply. Um, Oscar wasn't very good at latching. Uh, we used a nipple shield until he was about three, uh, two months, two yeah. and a half months. And then we managed to keep going until about three and a half, but he'd always pull off screaming. 
um, and arching his back. So at that point, the rest of my family kind of um, strongly suggested that um, I've, I've done my best. Uh, so that was that was the end of our breastfeeding journey there, which was really hard pill to swallow, having had so much milk. Um, I had it there for him. He just couldn't access it for whatever reason. Um, yeah. So he had like uh, tongue tie and lip tie as well. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. And how did you find your physical recovery from your C-section? Um, not too bad. I was quite surprised, really. Um, I definitely missed the beds at the maternity unit, which you could kind of like push a button and it would yes. help you set up. Yeah. <laughs> um, it wasn't until I got home that I realized how useful those were. Mm. Um, cause that was the hardest part was just kind of turning and rolling to grab them from the yeah. bed to, to do the night feeds. Um, but again, because it was locked down. There wasn't a lot on. We weren't going out doing very much. So I was forced to, um, to, to really relax. And I had that, yeah. that help at home too, to be able to do that. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And what sort of things, I guess, if you reflect back on it now and think about doing that time, obviously without the support from your family, um, and just with you and your husband, can you think of anything that sort of helped you, to get through that period and um yeah I guess I guess the relevance in New Zealand at the moment is that um Auckland's in level three lockdown which I know is slightly different to level four but still restrictive of who you have in your bubble and obviously who visits you and your baby so um yeah I'd be really keen to to know a little bit more about that yeah um I think for me, it was it was going through the the different emotions and and really riding that wave and mm. being really disappointed, allowing yeah. myself to feel that. Um, and I think that was important because then I went in kind of having gotten all of that out, um, yes. yeah. not trying to just brush it aside. Um, mm. And we we all were so just dis- dis- disappointed. Um, uh, the internet's a great tool like mm-hmm. I said we had um, a Facebook group set up and actually now I can go back and that Facebook group um, reminds me of every single little moment <laughs> of, his, of his birth because we were going back and forward so much um, but yeah just be kind to yourselves it's um, it's an incredible time to have a baby mm-hmm. um, and at the end of the day you're you know you're the one who who needs to um be be safe in in your environment for your mm. birth, and however you can do that in these circumstances, don't be afraid to ask. Um, I think for me, sometimes I probably I should have pushed a little bit more. Maybe when his heart rate kind of wouldn't have um, kept continuing to to fluctuate, and my mum mm. just messaged me going, you know, look, this doesn't sound right to me. Um, and if she'd been there, she probably would have said that herself. Um, yeah, but I didn't want to rock the boat. Um, yeah, anything like that. So just be a, be the biggest advocate for the birth that, um, the best version of your birth that you can have. Um, yeah. and I, you know, my heart goes out to everyone who, it's just so uncertain, and that's the hardest mm. part. Not really knowing, um, because you can get told one thing and then turn up and it be different. Yeah. Um. So so yeah, just be kind to yourself and yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. So, well, is there anything else that you would like to include in your story about your pregnancy or your birth or your postpartum period? Um, I think just for me, it was a big part 
for me too was that breastfeeding mm. and the tongue tie and the lip tie. Um, it took a long time to um, for us to identify that. Yeah. And uh, I had no problems um, with formula or anything like that, but it was that, that big bond, um, the step away from that, that I found really hard mm-hmm. or I thought was going to be really hard. Um, going to formula changed nothing mm. <laughs> in terms of actually my bond with my baby. Um, so that's, I think, a really important thing to, to kind of highlight. Yeah. Um, and the other best thing that we did for our, for our boy was um, we went and saw a, um, a chiropractor Oh yeah, who specialises yeah. in babies, and she um, was amazing. He would only ever he couldn't turn his neck, um, and we think that that was because he spent so long being smashed around in the birth canal mm-hmm. and his heart rate. Um, so he couldn't turn his head to the right. So she helped release a lot of those muscles and things like that. And that yeah. was a, another really helpful thing um, that in that postpartum period mm-hmm. um, for him. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Becca, for coming on the podcast and sharing your stories with us. I think, um, yeah, like I said, super relevant timing at the moment. And it's always really interesting to hear a story about a birth during COVID because one day we'll look back on these stories and (laughs) just think, what the heck? Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I'm super grateful that you've come on the podcast and shared your experiences with us. So thank you. No worries. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode of Kiwi Birth Tales. I hope you have enjoyed it. And if you are one of the mums out there who are currently in a version of lockdown and feeling anxious about your lockdown birth, I do hope that this has provided you some comfort in hearing someone else's story and just know that you are going to be amazing no matter what level of lockdown you are in at the moment. And yeah, I just wish you all the best for your birth experiences. Thanks again for tuning in this week. I'm looking forward to bringing you another awesome episode next week and I will talk to you then. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.